0: I'm Cinder Niemela, and along with Charlotte Gilmano, welcome to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. I believe the most powerful gifts you can give yourself is time to reflect on your talents and experience, and then have the wisdom to act with confidence and grace. This podcast is for entrepreneurs, leaders, and individuals who want to thrive in work and life. Your journey to being connected and inspired by the world around you starts right now. Today, my guest is Simon Kozlowski from the sunny East Coast of South Africa. Today, Simon is going to share with us his roller coaster ride between 2013 and late 2016. After working in a corporate environment for several years, this roller coaster ride led to the creative spark that inspired his journey to his current work. And that is helping people and companies reinvent themselves. Simon is a dynamic coach who has equipped and empowered hundreds of entrepreneurs, leaders, and managers to achieve outstanding results in both their professional and personal lives. You can find more about Simon in the show notes as well as links to contact him. Please join me now in welcoming Simon to the show. Hi, Simon. Welcome to the call.
1: It's really great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Cinder.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. I wanted to start out by asking you to share this roller coaster ride you had between 2013 and late 2016.
1: Sure thing. So in... At the start of 2013, I had been doing business coaching for about a year. I was making my way in the world, carving out my niche as a disruptive business coach working with Maverick startups and early phase businesses. And I started getting really lonely and I wanted to go back into work. I've come out of a corporate environment, so I was missing the team element And I also wanted to get my hands dirty. I wanted to get back into the business and and fiddle. And I was finding that my customers were quite complacent and weren't really doing what I told them to do. And I thought I could do a better job than that. (laughs) So (laughs) I was having lunch one day with one of my small business coaching clients and she was bleak. Her little events and promotions business was struggling to go to the next level. Because ironically, she was struggling to promote the business, um, she was really brilliant at what she did, which was the operational stuff, but she just really wasn 't so hot at marketing herself or the business, and she was needing a sales and marketing partner as i said i 'd been a coach for about two years, I was starting to get bored, and so i just on the spur pretty much a spur of the moment thing, I decided to jump in with her and help her build the business as a partner. Mm -hmm. And so for two years, we worked like Spartan warriors, 15 hours a day, six days a week. We built a really amazing business in the first year. And then there's this whole thing called Black Empowerment in South Africa, where you have a a Black ownership rating. And the higher your Black ownership rating for business, the the more likely you are to uh, get, great quality business. So we ended up selling off half of our business to Black Empowerment Partners, um, which weren't a great fit. We did it in a hurry to land a lucrative uh, deal from a big na- multinational casino. But about halfway through year two, a series of metaphorical tornadoes ripped through the business. Oh dear. We, we lost our three biggest clients within the space of a few months because those clients were bringing their functions in-house. We also got caught in the middle of my first business partner, my original coaching clients, very messy divorce. Mm. That all spiraled into me being unemployed, exhausted and in debt to our local equivalent of about a hundred thousand dollars. So I then, that was in May. 2015, I then floated around doing whatever work I could get my hands on for about four months while I tried to come to terms with my new reality. Then in October, a friend of mine had been running a successful training business for about 20 years, but they'd had really just compounded radical health issues and um, had slowly just become bedridden and they invited me in to help them re-energize their business and grow the business again, which had been a prominent international coaching and training company. So it was a good fit for me. And so with nothing left to lose and everything to gain, I jumped in with both feet. I realized very quickly, people talk about the Steve Jobs distortion field. Mm -hmm. I realized that I have a version of that. And so I would speak about this business with compelling brushstrokes of vision and um, how we were going to change the world and quickly enamored everybody on the team, which was a team of about five or six people, enamored them with um, these visions of grandeur and us changing the business, uh, changing the world with this business. Then once again, started working 12 to 18 hour days, building up the business And then within a few months, that all started to unravel. Our business model wasn't great. Our overheads were too high. Our prices were too low. Um, Both the business owner and I were stretched too thin on the training and the coaching side. So the sales and marketing function suffered. Then the business just steadily declined and anxieties and frustrations increased. I realized that as one of the highest overheads in the business to save both myself in the long term and the business in the short term. I was gonna have to make the courageous move to leave the business. For the sake of the team, the owner, and my own sanity, I stepped out at the end of August, 2016, and once again was unemployed, exhausted, and demoralized, still deep in debt, and now with zero prospects because I'd really built my personal brand and identity around someone else's business. Even yesterday, which was I mean that was twenty sixteen September, um, yesterday, I got a call from someone and they were they were still associating me with that other business, having not spoken to anyone in that context for close to eighteen months so personal brand had gone out the window apart from that business, and I now needed to start carving my niche, And and that's really where this thing of the reinvention coach took off, which is the brand that I operate under. And so I I restructured myself, my life and started building from scratch again. I'm not a a multi-billionaire yet, uh, but I am debt free. So slowly just clawing my way back into a life of uh, significance and success.
0: Oh, that is awesome that in such a short period of time, you're managed to be debt-free. So as you look back on that experience, how do you make sense of it now?
1: Such a great question because making sense of it is everything. We tell ourselves stories and we stack up these stories, which are really our own constructs. They're not necessarily the truth. Mm -hmm. They're just how we see our vantage points on the truth. There's a couple things here, and and I'll just cut across a few of them very quickly and lightly. Self-awareness and social awareness are two very important things, but they're two very different things. The conversation I had with my boss when I left was a conversation where we together came into a place of the highest personal, self-awareness, and social awareness for, in the business context. I'd been having this dream repeatedly, and it, it was quite a spiritual experience. But in this dream, I walk into this field, and this farmer it has got this V12 Ferrari. I'm not a car guy, but I just knew it was a V12 Ferrari. It was rigged with all this farming equipment, and he was plowing his field using this Ferrari. And so this other farmer comes over because it's making a lot of noise and it's starting to show strain and there's loud clonking noises and rattling and crashes. This other farmer comes over and he goes, what on earth is happening here? And this, far, this farmer says, what do you think of my new Ferrari? And so the farmer who's come over says, you do know that it's way cheaper to buy a tractor and it's cheaper to service as well. And so I'd had this dream two or three times and I shared it with my, my boss who I'd, was my friend. I said, I think I'm that Ferrari. I need to be out on the straights racing. And I think you need a tractor, somebody who's just happy to do menial work all day and not wanting to change the world. And so I think that was the first sense-making part of it all was just realizing that what they want and what I want, there isn't a right or a wrong. They're just different. But it becomes wrong when I, as the Ferrari, am trying to plug myself into a tractor environment, which is not suited for me.
0: Well, that's a wonderful story. That, I love that. And good for you for paying attention to it after having the dream three times.
1: I caught it the first time. I just didn't know, as you say, how to make sense of it. I think one of the amazing things that we had going on in that business was we had really courageous, authentic conversations. And that's the other thing. If you can't speak your truth to people, you will struggle to live your truth because it's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so we pull back all the time, not sharing our truth or finding that our truth is socially awkward. So we, we tend to keep it in our back pocket and say what will make us socially acceptable Mm-hmm. And in my own life and in my clients' lives and in my friends' and family's lives, I've seen a lot of heartache and pain from not feeling like there is a safe space for your story to be told.
0: Mm-hmm. So there, there are a couple of things that have come up in this story that you just shared. One of them is to define self-awareness and social awareness for the audience.
1: Great. And I meant to do that. So thanks for pulling me back. I was Ferrariing down the road. Self-awareness is really who am I? Why do I exist? What are my trigger points? What are the things that what is the environment that I do my best work in? What are the things that derail me? What are my blind spots? All those sort of questions we just get to know ourselves, where we shine and where we dim cascades over into social awareness which is how are other people seeing me how are people responding to who i am how am i responding to them which again is self-awareness and then how are they responding to each other and what is happening in this environment that is affecting me so Mm -hmm. our self always affects the social environment that we're in but the social environment that we're in always affects us. So it's holding this one, the one in the left hand and the other in the right hand, and just making sure that we're trying to strike a healthy balance between the two. Mm, That's wonderful. And and I've gotten to a place in my life, I'm confident enough in my identity to positively influence a negative social environment. But we don't start there. Over time, we groomed into this victim mentality of, of not feeling empowered and thinking that three people in a room is more powerful than one person. We always say two heads is better than one, three heads is great, but actually one person has the power to shift an entire, I mean, people like Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King Jr. Those people were one person who fundamentally shifted a nation or respective nations. So it's not that majority rules. In fact, most often the minority rules, but we have to come to terms with who we are before we can, and what we bring to the world and what our contribution is before we can assert that on other people. And if you have low self-awareness and you try to be something that you're not, it just has a funny way of not sticking.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's also related to the courageous truth because by that, what, what I think you're meaning is that you're telling your truth, but you're telling it in a way that empowers others and doesn't hurt others.
1: That's so beautifully said. Uh, that, that nails it spot on.
0: So can you, I mean, you said something really intriguing about having a heightened sense of self-awareness, but perhaps in some situations, not having that heightened sense of social awareness but still being able to speak your truth in that environment. Did I understand that correctly?
1: We talk about drinking our own Kool-Aid. I am sometimes so enamored by my own story that I tend to allow my story to override the other stories in the room or Mm -hmm. my needs to override the other needs in the room. You know, in some of the sales coaching that I do, in the business model innovation, reinvention coaching that I do. One of the main things is I'm trying to shift people away from a, this is who I am and what I need because we, we've built organizations like that and people up like that over the years to go, here's what I want. And how do I get what I want to the Dale Carnegie perspective, which is what are other people wanting? And if I can help them get what they want, then I'll get what I want. And and so shifting your entire consciousness to what are the needs of other people in the room and who's being heard and who's not being heard and who's got something to say and who, who has an unmet need, who's in pain looking to move to a gain. Self-awareness is good up to a point, but if we, if we put ourselves above the needs of others, we're not going to be celebrated as much as the people who do that. It's my very diplomatic way of saying it.
0: Yeah. Well, and that is so perfect. Now you mentioned you work with sales teams. I had somebody uh, the other day describe their, the sales organization as a team of champions. And what he's trying to do is transform them to a champion team. How do you work with, sales leaders and sales teams to try to shift that, that culture to more of a champion team.
1: So I'm, I'm going to take a, a road less traveled here because, you know, I've done a, a fair amount of teamwork at an executive and organizational level. And I think so much of our problem is we use words when we don't actually know what those words mean. hmm I haven't met a lot of sales teams. I've met a lot of sales leaders. I've met a lot of sales people. I've met a lot of sales groups, a bunch of sales people gathered together in a room that are working to achieve a similar objective, but I haven't met a lot of sales teams. But everybody on a team, on any team, has strengths. They have weaknesses they have a a position that they take the lead in and they own that position. Usually the sales manager or the sales leader is trying to get everyone to perform the same. And that's not a team. Mm. And just because we're chasing the organization's objective of we've got to make budget of a billion dollars this year, just because everybody's chasing that target doesn't mean they're a team. They might all be shooting for the same goal, but that doesn't make them a team. So this beautifully ties in with self and social awareness. There's one quarterback in American mm. football, Right. and he's usually the star of the show. So in a sales team, that guy who can clinch the deals right at the whistle, or as the clock is counting down its final seconds, the guy who can throw a however many yard pass and just win the game, that star player is usually what everybody orientates the team around in a sales team environment. Mm. Everybody's got to be that quarterback. But we've got defense, we've got offense, we've got linebackers. You know, there's all these different, that's about as deep as my my (laughs) knowledge goes, so I'm not going to go any further than that. But different people have different strengths. And sometimes you might actually be a great salesperson in the wrong sales environment working with the wrong sales group. And so you will just never, ever be a part of that team because you are an American footballer trying to play cricket on a sales team and it's, it's just never going to work. There are certain sales models which work better for different salespeople. So to circle back to the self-awareness versus social awareness, I need to understand what sport I play mm-hmm. and what my strengths and my, my optimum position within that sport is before I start trying to be a part of the team and lose my, my personality and my unique identity mm-hmm. to the team identity. Mm-hmm. And so often sales leaders try and rush to the point of let's build a team and let's be nameless, faceless society here all a nameless, faceless group of people all pulling together towards the same sales goal before they 've understood and helped the salesperson understand their unique gifts, attributes, and unique advantages within within the sales domain
0: I often say that um, a sales team is really an oxymoron
1: it is because everyone 's yeah, competing against each other
0: they are competing. And what the difficulty then becomes is within an organization where they need to work more cooperatively, perhaps with operations or product design or, you know, some of the other functions that are critical to the sales team or the sales people being successful. And I think that's where a lot of teams that I work with struggle. How do they adjust their communication style to better meet the needs of some of these other teams within the organization.
1: If you are selling a commodity and that commodity needs to be packed and shipped, Mm -hmm. that person packing and shipping is part of the sales team. Mm -hmm. And so there is certain social awareness that that person lacks about what's happening in the client's world that the salespeople need to effectively communicate. And when I say effectively, I mean, respectfully. Clearly, Nelson Mandela's quote is, if you speak to me in a language that I understand, it goes to my head. But if you speak to me in my own language, it goes to my heart. And so often we're speaking to people in the organization in our language, salespeople language, instead of the language of operations or order fulfillment, procurement, whatever that might be. So, I I, ch- I tend to challenge who's on the sales team. It's not just the customer facing people or even the internal customer support people. If you've got a customer coming into your organization and, they, and the sales meeting is going to happen in a boardroom in your meeting and you've got a man or woman who serves tea, that person is on the sales team because they're a critical part of the customer experience that you're creating within the organization so i think we've got flexible teams and these teams are fluid you know there's a Mm -hmm. there's an outside team which is different to an inside team even in the same organization within the same sales cycle Mm -hmm. there's there's different players what is really a macro team as opposed to just this a team
0: Mm mm-hmm In your work with sales leaders, um, communication is the single greatest differentiator. Could you speak a little bit to that? And I think you have been um, for the last few minutes, but perhaps just wrap it up for us so that we really get a sense of how to adjust our communication style to better meet the needs of internal and external
1: stakeholders. So that's, that's a great question. It's the difference between speaking in our language and speaking in the customer's language. So I do a, a bit of work in the digital transformation, business model innovation space. It never fails to blow my mind how much jargon we throw at people to demonstrate our expertise.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and, and we think we're impressing them with our jargon. What we're actually doing is we're causing big gaps in our sentences in terms of what they're hearing, because they've just had to dial out now to spend four or five seconds trying to figure out what that word you just used could mean. Mm-hmm. And usually they come up with the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. So what we need to be doing is we need to be, especially in a sales context, I mean, it, it applies to every part of business, marketing and sales and operational Instructions, but what we really need to be doing is we need to be breaking it down, cutting away our filters, and getting inside the understanding of the person that we're speaking to and speak to them as they would want to speak to themselves. We are an academic society in general, we place a lot of emphasis on academia to demonstrate that we're intelligent people. We use really big words Mm -hmm. and and we'll use the biggest words that we possibly can. And we sacrifice getting our point across and being understood for wanting to impress people with with how marvelous our lingo is.
0: Yes. Your sense of purpose has really strengthened over the last couple of years. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're currently doing?
1: Sure. So I'll start with the what I thought I was supposed to be doing versus yeah. what i what I ended up doing, as you know, I have had more than eighteen jobs. I've had three failed businesses. This is currently my my fourth business that I'm now starting to make my way in the world. I think I found my head in the final months of being thirty eight. 39 that that's really where I kind of woke up and went oh so this is what life is all about I always knew that deep down inside there was this purpose of supporting and equipping and empowering the underdog and breathing life into dead bones and resurrecting corpses from an organizational perspective from a from a personal perspective in terms of people's happiness and their lives and their fulfillment. I always knew that stuff was there. I just really struggled with the packaging of that. I didn't know how to package that stuff. I've now developed my own framework, which is essentially an X and on the top left, I have my passions and on the top right of the X, I have my skills And on the bottom left of the X, I have what people desire and want and need. And on the bottom right of the X, I have what people are willing to pay for. Closer you can bring those things together on the crossover point of the X, that's that's when you've, you've got to win. When people really need something that they're willing to pay for, that you're passionate about and you're really good at, that's a winning business. So most of my last two or three years has really been about figuring that out. First of all, if you know what question to ask, that's half the problem solved. Mm-hmm. And now just testing different models to go, I know what I'm really passionate about and I know what I'm really good at. Now I just need to figure out who has the need and who's willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so the answer to that right now is really we're in a space where the world is changing so quickly that established businesses that operated in the old model of capitalism are quickly finding themselves ill-equipped to compete in this new economy. So there's a few aspects around that. One of them is business models, understanding business models and how to build a business that can differentiate itself from the competitors That's one aspect of it. Another one is this whole thing around customer experience. It was a few years ago, I think as early as 2006, when uh, Jerry Gregoire, who was the chief marketing officer of Dell, said customer experience is the next competitive, competitive battleground. And that's what we're on right now. The war is for customer experience. And the old models aren't creating great experiences for our millennials who increasingly have all the buying power. Mm -hmm. And and so that's when I say all, I mean, increasingly, they're, they're owning more and more of the buying power. And so we need to be adapting our businesses and our our way that we operate within those businesses to this new market, to these new consumer customer needs. I think I said as much as two weeks ago that I do my best work with Mavericks and game changers who want to make a dent in the universe. But actually I'm realizing that where the greatest pain is and where there's pain, people are willing to pay for that pain. The greatest pain is really those people who are being left behind in this new economy, Who were successful in the past but now their market share and their success is just being eroded because they don't have a clue technology has left them behind they they don't get things like i mean instagram and all of that stuff is old already and they're still puzzling around that stuff and we're already on to artificial intelligence and blockchain and cryptocurrency and uh, decentralized markets and disintermediation, which is removing the middleman. How do you compete in that world when you've got no grid for that world? And so I've realized that while I thought I wanted to play with the guys who are on the cutting edge of change, my greatest value offering is to the people who've been left behind.
0: That's awesome. I, I love the passion in your voice. Do you work with individuals or with businesses?
1: So I work with individuals and businesses and ideally those individuals are people who have authority and mandate mm-hmm. to to initiate change. I work with one particular organization where I come in regularly and do a new economy sales training program that I, I developed for them. I want to be working with people who buy into the fact that they are left behind. They need to take some big bold action. But intelligent action, not just throw the baby out with the proverbial bathwater. I think medium-sized businesses that are in transition, where the new owner is taking over, the son is taking over from the father. That's some of the, the best work that I do, where the father is still referring to this the internet as if it's something that came onto the scene last week, Tuesday, mm-hmm. and the, the owner of the business is frustrated, the new owner, the son or the, the daughter who's coming in to take over and, and really reinvent the business is frustrated with some of the limitations of the old model and, and looking to mix things up, but but needs that mandate and needs the the tick in the box and, and the endorsement to to make some radical changes and, and to test some big ideas.
0: mm mm-hmm. Could you give us an example of a client you've worked with was the most fulfilling or satisfying for you?
1: I worked with a textiles company, which was a very large textile company that came under pressure of the this BEE, which is Broad-Based Black Economic Empowerment, there's a tender process here where you have to submit your prices, and they were coming in under the prices of everyone else. But because of a little bit of corruption in the environment that they were selling into, they just weren't competing effectively. We needed to do a few things. We needed to get them a new market, we needed to then obviously orientate their systems and processes to best serve that market one of the challenges was if you're working for the state and you're supplying uh, bedding and linen for the state, you're working on large volume orders. But if you're working for an interior decorator and producing something for them, you need a just-in-time manufacturing process. So they needed to move away from supplying the state and spending all their energy and effort trying to win over the heart of the state, uh, the approval, the endorsement, the, the validation of the state and start moving into fragmented markets. So they needed to have more salespeople that were passionate about different areas. There was one lady who was really, really passionate about animals in the organization, knew the organization well, but was a order filler for state orders and so worked with her to teach her some of the basics of sales and go into the pet store environment and start creating innovative products that they could start creating new products and new lines. So product innovations um, into the pet store environment. And that's, be, that's actually become one of their most lucrative lines from a, a salesperson who would never have dared call themselves a salesperson but just by unlocking their passion in an area that they are working with the realities of that environment. They have pets, they love animals, they're in pet stores all the time. They have great relationships with people who love pets and they're, they're like vegans. They just, they, they speak each other's language and automatically gravitate towards each other. So that worked really well for them. And then there's probably about seven or eight other product lines that we've initiated within that organization that are now increasingly gaining traction in the market. And the crazy thing is that because they are now doing amazingly well without the state, the state has now come back to them and gone, love this new model that you're working with. You know, you're innovative. We want to be we want to be seen as progressive. Health, we want healthcare to be seen as progressive. We want to work with a progressive organization. How can we work with you? And so now what we're doing is we're moving away from the traditional tender process and we're going, we'll create a model where the state has an invested stake in the efficient distribution and ordering and acquisition of product and can work collaboratively with the organization to inform the organization, inform the manufacturer about what products are working well, what products aren't, what sizes there are too many of rather than us just getting poor quality stock returns sent back to us. Let's work with you to co-create some amazing value. And so when the customer has an invested stake in the product and their heart and their wallet is in the game, it's going to be very hard for somebody else to come and disrupt that and, Mm -hmm. and undercut you on price.
0: That that is awesome, and it started with unlocking the passion of one person to see the possibility. Well, I love your stories and the fact that we can learn from each other. You in South Africa, I've learned so much about South Africa already. Never been there. Been to over a hundred countries, but I've never wow. been to South Africa. So now I know somebody that I can come visit.
1: Awesome. And, uh, You're welcome. Uh,
0: Thank you, Megs. Hurry over. (laughs) Yes, it's just amazing. I just want to ask you a couple of more questions, and then I will let you go. You know, we've covered a couple of different things, and I want to go back just a minute to the person who has had a number of career failures, and they've overcome those failures, but it's left them feeling a little bit less confident um, in themselves and in their future. What is the most important advice you would have for someone?
1: I think my best advice mm-hmm. is to get some self-awareness. And and the way to do that, there's two great tools that I've used coaching people that I would highly recommend. So I'm going to give some people some free plugs now. Um, the one is Gallup Finder. Mm. So Gallup organization does... Uh, employee engagement assessments, but they've they've got an amazing thing. I think it's a $15 assessment. Might be a little bit more now, might be $20. It'll be the best $20 you have spent to get to know yourself and what your strengths are. So Gallup has 34 strengths. Your top 10 might shift and change. I've done the assessment twice and the second time it was slightly different because I was in a different space in my life it'll pick out some of your gifts and then it tells you how to integrate those into a particular environment. And then it gives you like a checklist for making sure that you're integrating those things into the work you're doing and you're creating space. Like a gardener would move a plant that lacks a bit of shade, he would transplant it from harsh sunlight to dappled shade so that it can flourish in a better environment or maybe put some fertilizer in the soil. People are just like that. They need to be planted in the right environment to shine. But in order to be planted in the right environment, you need to know what type of a plant you are. Mm-hmm. And so Gallup Strengths Finder is an amazing tool for that. And from there you'll quickly go, ooh, I can see how to plug that into certain things, or well, I can see why I keep banging my head against the granite slab and I'm not moving because I'm just not supposed to be in this environment or in this type of field where I keep drawing on my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, thing about playing to your weaknesses and we try and improve our, on our weaknesses is that from a neuroscience perspective, energy flows where attention goes. So if you constantly focusing on your weakness, that's where all your energy is going to go is just really playing to your weakness because you're aware that it's a weakness. That's again, the benefit of team just to come full circle is find people that supplement your weaknesses. And I think part of the problem I'm noticing in this millennial American entrepreneurial environment is that because it's easy for someone to do their own website and everyone knows how to code and everyone knows how to I think we're, we're narrow, narrowly pigeoning ourselves, pigeonholing ourselves. I don't even think most millennials know what a pigeonhole is, but we're putting ourselves in this groove that is too narrowly defining us, just like everybody else. And the only difference between a groove, a rut, and a grave is the depth, is how far you go. Mm. Well, that's so- powerful right there. <laughs> So, so I would I would say to I would say to people, figure out what your differentiation is by doing a Gallup strength finder test. And then the other resource that I'd recommend, which if you buy Sally Hogshead's book, I think it's called Fascinate, The Seven Triggers to Fascination.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yes, that's a great resource. Mm-hmm.
1: Such an amazing book. And I think her second book was How the World Sees You. So I think if you buy one of those books on Amazon, you get a code, a free code, to do the fascination advantage test, which mm-hmm. is how the world sees you. There are mm-hmm. triggers like prestige and mm-hmm. power. If you're trying to be somebody else and not playing to your own fascination advantages, you're not going to get ahead as fast as somebody who is playing to their fascination mm-hmm. advantages. So that's a, that's a great resource. Um, I, I love that. I, I, sometimes I just plug that into the price of my coaching and I, and I send people a, a free test um, because what that unlocks is just amazing.
0: Mm, thank you. Thank you for those. What is one thing you know now that you wish you knew earlier?
1: Love that. Great question. From, a, from an entrepreneurial business perspective, I'm actually going to give you two things. So the first one is the that I've already given you is that X that intersect between what I'm good at, what I'm skilled at, what people are willing to pay for and what people really want to need. That interplay because we that solves the whole problem of follow your passions versus do what pays the bills. That mm-hmm. that's the missing formula there. The other thing is Closely related to that, you can't go 20 yards down the road without hearing the word value proposition these days. Or, you know, everyone's talking about what's your value proposition, what's your value offering. But we don't really get what that is. And the thing about value is that as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a salesperson, as an inventor, as a creator, whatever I am, I don't get to determine what value is the customer determines what value is. And so the customer's definition of value is something that makes my life better. Something that moves me from a pain, a situation in my life that I don't want to be in, to a gain. And that could be a mild inconvenience to terminal illness.
0: Mm -hmm. But I
1: but everybody is trying to improve their lives and move away from inconvenience to amplified convenience or away from pain to increased gain. If you can understand that, half your sales challenges are resolved because you're going, if I'm not speaking to the customer and, and we all have customers, whether our customer is our mom, our girlfriend, our boyfriend, our husband, our wife, the teacher at your kid's school. They're all customers because they're all on a journey to move away from pain and move towards gain. And if we understand that and we just use that lens on the world, that changes the game. I wish I knew that when I was 18.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And I do love your X model. I think that's a great one. Very simple and gets to the point. What is a habit or mantra that helps you to focus on what's most important?
1: Focusing on what's important is admittedly my Achilles heel. I'm mm-hmm. i am I'm a magpie. Anything that sparkles, I'm all over that thing like whites on rice. So I'm going to go back to the X model. If I had that X model, I'm going to solve my own problem on your show. So what I do with the X model is if something is a one out of 10 in terms of some somebody paying for it, then I'm already off. If somebody is, if it can convert maybe a week from now into a five, maybe it's, maybe it's a medium term opportunity for somebody to pay for it. Then, then, then I need to rate that thing. If it's something that is a real pain, then I, it's probably sitting right on the bullseye. But if nobody's willing to pay for it, you know, then then it's not something I should be giving. I'm talking as a business person now. It's not something for the sake of focus in my business, generating revenue and worth and value. It's not something that I should be giving myself to. So mm-hmm. if you just put ten right at the draw that X top left is what I'm passionate about. Top right is what I'm really good at. Bottom right is what people are willing to pay for and bottom left is the problems that people are looking to solve. I pull out that X on a task I'm about to do and I just give it a quick rating on each of those four domains and take an average. Very quickly, I can ascertain out of all the tasks I've got going on right now, is this a 10, 10 being priority, which Mm -hmm. I should do right now, it's urgent and important,
0: Mm -hmm. or is it
1: down on the list that I can do in my discretionary time? Mm-hmm. So I don't do that, but here's my commitment. From tomorrow, I'm going to start doing that because I just figured out how to get yeah. my, keep myself on track.
0: <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Thank you so much. You know, I have really enjoyed uh, talking with you today.
1: You're most welcome, Cinder. You've made it such fun. Thank you for the freedom and the liberty just to be me. And I really just want to wish every single one of your listeners amplified success and significance they must just go out there and make their own mark on the world not somebody else's and just have a lot of fun doing it life's too short to be grumpy and sad and so pursue happiness but you might as well make a profit while you're doing that
0: yes well thank you so much and we'll talk to you soon
1: stunning thank you
0: all righty I'm Cinder Niemela, and you've been listening to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope these conversations illuminate your path to your highest potential. For show notes and links to resources mentioned during today's episode, please go to inspiredwisdom.us. You can also follow Inspired Wisdom on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, design a fulfilling and prosperous life, that engages your talents and passions.